0: Uh, well, today, listeners, as promised, I've got a very special guest on the phone, Mr. Frankie J. Holden. How are you there, Frankie?
1: I couldn't be better, Phil. I'm just sitting, actually, I'm sitting by my pool on uh, at my house at Tambula Beach, Yep. which is where I live. It's on the Sapphire Coast. The sun is shining. I'm, well, I'm bare-chested, if... <sighs> If, if if you want to know, what are you
0: wearing? <laughs> oh, matey, I'm I'm wearing a flannelette shirt and a pair of shorts. I don't feel it too much. I don't feel it too much down below. My legs are fine. <laughs> um, Come on, mate, you could have
1: made a bit of an effort,
0: really. <laughs> Look, I'm I've got a flannel on because it's a bit cool. We've got a lot of wind up here at the moment. It's just about blown us all off the planet. We've had this Arctic wind. Um and as I said I, I my legs are pretty cool, they can handle it, but I don't like to get too cold on the chest. That I'm an old fellow like me, I'm I'm six pushing sixty two now, so I, I don't wanna get sick, you know what I mean?
1: Well yeah I think, I think I remember being 62. Yeah you it was do a few years ago now.
0: Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, mate, but I've got to tell you, you're a lot fitter looking and a lot more handsome than me, so I think you could ward it off for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so matey, first of all, before we start talking about your music and your TV and this great caravan park you own, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on the program. I, I play your music every single week. In fact, I, I do. I close my radio program every single week with Good Night, Sweetheart, which was from the Taking a Greasy album. Yeah. And I've been doing that for about 20 years when I used to gig around the, the traps myself in a duo and I used to have a big successful karaoke business. And every time I finished the shows, I would end my program. This is truth. I would end my sign-off signature song, Good Night, Sweetheart. So, and I've been following your music... Since take your greasy days, and I absolutely well, love your stuff, mate. Seriously,
1: thank you very much. It's very nice of you to say. Yep. And uh, we always used to finish with "Goodnight, sweetheart." It's an obvious, it's an obvious one to finish. Absolutely. And uh, it's still very, very popular, you know, with audiences. So I'm still working with Wilbur Wilde and I still do gigs. Right. Yep. Um, and we the last time I worked with Old Fifty Five was about. Oh, I was only a couple of years ago, okay, uh, and it was the fortieth anniversary of the release of Take It Take Greasy. Greasy. I think it was, um, well, actually, it was two thousand and sixteen. Right. So it's four years ago now, okay. yep. and uh, so that was the fortieth anniversary of the release of Take It Greasy. And we did a series of gigs, uh, including we did Carols by Candlelight on the you know, Channel Nine Network out of Melbourne, and we did uh, we did Crown Casino. And we did the casino at Jupiters uh, on the Gold Coast there.
2: Right.
1: And we did a couple of gigs in Sydney. And uh, they went very well. And uh, it was, again, we played all those old songs. But as I said, Wilbur and I have maintained our uh, our rock and roll presence in various guises over the years. So that means I've been working with Wilbur, you know, for 44 years now,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is a scary thought, mate. (laughs) And anybody who spent any time in the company of Wilbur Wild will know exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Well, I was going to say, Taker Greasy was out in the 70s. So you would have been a young fellow. You would have been in, what, your early 20s?
1: Yeah, I was 23 when uh, when I joined the band. Right. Uh, Willie was Willie was the youngest. He was only 19, or he wow. might have been 20. Wow. Um, but he was the most experienced pro-muso out of a lot of us. Yep. So I'll give you the background. There was a band in uh, around Cronulla in Sydney, around the Shire and and Cronulla in Sydney called Thanis. Yes. Uh, And that that was a four-piece band and and that was the the core of the genesis of the band that turned into Old 55. So in Thanis were Jim Manzi, Jeff Plummer, Patrick Drummond and uh, Rockpile Jones. Right. And Mm -hmm. they had met up. Now, Jeff Plummer, who was the drummer, he worked in the public service and one of his workmates was uh, Glenn A. Baker. Yes. Now, any, you'll know of Glenn A. Baker's oh, name, and you yep. will. Uh, and he was just working in the public service and had dreams of being involved in rock and roll. So he and Jeff were mates, and Glenn, it was Glenn's idea to put together this band, uh, of, of like a 50s tribute band, um, and based sort of a, a, around Shanana, which is the band from America. And it was his idea to call it Old Fifty Five. And uh, Jeff said, "Well, you know, I've got this band." And Glenn went along and saw a gig or a rehearsal, and thought they were very good and had a lot of potential. But they decided that they needed a front man, uh, and so that's where where they were. Now, at that time, I was actually a chartered accountant working for Price Waterhouse in in Sydney, but I was dabbling in music. I had. Um, you know, I was a keen surfer, and like all good surfers, you know, I had a combi and a red set of dog and a guitar, <laughs> and so I was just dallying music. And I had a little, I, I had a little band together called Peppercorn, which was uh, just you know me and three mates, and we were doing the odd gig, and mostly uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young stuff, uh, Van Morrison, Neil Diamond, that sort of stuff. Uh, and we went in a talent quest at the Riot East Leagues Club in Sydney, and we won that talent quest, and much to everyone's surprise, and part of the prize was four Friday nights gigging at a pub near Sydney Uni and getting paid for it. Now, at that point in my life, to get paid for making music was you know, something that I hadn't even thought about. Right. So we went along and started doing these gigs on Friday nights at this pub. It was a union hotel uh, near Sydney Uni, and Jim Manzi uh, came along and saw us one night and then he came back a week later and and bought Glenn A. Baker and they approached me after the gig and said that they had this band they were trying to put together this band called Old 55 and was I interested in joining them so Jim came back uh, the following Saturday night and he bought Glenn A. Baker Mm -hmm. and they approached me after the gig and said do you want to join this band we're putting together called Old 55 and I said oh you know, not really. I'm really a chartered accountant. I'm just doing this for fun. Right. And they said, "Well, you know, we we've got a recording contract, and we we're gonna, and we're going to record a single like in, in a in a month's time." Wow! And that was obviously too good an offer to refuse. Yep. So I said, "Okay." So we went and started rehearsing uh, down at Jim's parents' house in Cronoa and then we recorded the, that first single, which was Diana, yes. which is on the Take It Greasy album. Now that was our first single right? and it wasn't that big a hit,
2: uh-huh.
1: but it did show the record company um, Mushroom Records that there was some potential uh, for the band. Okay. So it's all really I can't give too much credit to Glenn A. Baker because it was, as I said, it was his idea to put together this band. He had a vague concept in his mind and the name Old 55 uh, came from a Tom Waits' song. Uh, a song by Tom Waits, and it was it was recorded by the Eagles as well as Tom Waits. It's a beautiful song, and it talks about uh, the old '55 in the song title is an old '55 old uh, custom line, okay.
2: a 1955
1: custom line. So it's a song about a guy in his car, and um, that was where the idea for the name and the band came along. And then virtually we we kept rehearsing, and we started recording. And that was, we went into recording studio Trafalgar Records uh, in Annandale in Sydney, produced by Charles Fisher, who went on to do lots of other uh, great uh, recording and producing, um, uh, with, including Savage Garden and all sorts of people. But he produced Take It Greasy. And so we had this album working and we had a recording deal and we were starting to do a few gigs and we were literally overnight sensation.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That uh, album went like three times platinum.
1: <laughs> it went three times platinum.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and, well, there was a good deal of good, you know, some good management, obviously, um, but a good deal of luck. Our timing was excellent. Right. And when I say we're overnight Sensations, we, our fifth gig was supporting ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra, oh, wow. at the Horton Pavilion.
0: Jeez. Okay.
1: And uh, quite frankly, with no false modesty, we blew them away. Yes. And all the reviews in the papers, the, remember newspapers?
0: Back in the day, yeah, think of the past now. <laughs> yeah, I do. I all do the, uh, Vaguely? All the,
1: reviews, all the reviews in the papers were just like, who is this old 55 and where did they come from? Yes. Because we were a great live act and we had, you know, we had really good music and we played with great energy and uh, had you know, really good harmonies uh, and we were very visual and we were very funny. Yes. Uh, we did a lot of gags and messing about. We, you know, we would do stuff like we'd build a human pyramid
2: mm-hmm. in the middle
1: of the stage. You know, in the middle of the set. Right. And we were, uh, we'd all, wore, we all wore extravagant clothes. People who were fans of the band will remember that. And we were, you know, just out and out larrikins, but backed it up with really good music. And then we released uh, on the prowl. Yes, uh, which was our uh, the next single, and that was a very, very big hit. Yeah, and uh, even today, when I listen to "On the Prowl" today, uh, it's no surprise to me that it was a hit yeah. because it's a great song. It is, and it was beautifully produced. And even now, when you hear it, you know if it's on a compilation CD or something, uh, from the seventies, uh, it jumps out at you. As because the production was so great and strong,
0: yes. and it had
1: an attitude, you know, an Aussie larrikin attitude, yes, uh, that obviously had great appeal to to the audience. But as I mentioned, there was there was good music and good management, but also good luck because yeah. we were that single right at the time that Countdown went to colour telly yes, and it just boosted us along with a whole lot of other great bands and that period right little uh, rock stars <laughs> okay. in a matter of weeks, you know this is in the days of uh, uh sherbert skyhooks ted Mulry gang yes uh, uh dragon uh even the early acdc uh bands like that that had um a lot of visual appeal yes and that that's how it got started and that all happened as i said that all happened in a period so all that from the time the boys approached me uh, to when we were rock stars, it all took about six months,
2: Wow,
1: and it was just a whirlwind
2: uh mm-hmm.
1: a roller coaster because mushroom records got right behind it in terms of promotion, and uh, all the radio stations uh loved us because as I said, because we were larrikins and uh, and nobody at that t- time was doing the sort of music that we were doing, which was um you know rock, yes. Uh, rock and roll, but with you know, really lovely harmonies and popping harmonies. Yeah, yeah. So, and we had, you know, we had, um, we were able to take advantage of myself and Wilbur's big, larger than life characters. So we got, we got a lot of TV exposure and radio exposure, and yeah, it just went boom.
0: Fantastic.
1: And uh, we didn't know it hit us, to be honest.
0: No, I'm a long way from being an, being an accountant. <laughs> I bet that was the best decision you ever made. <laughs> Well, you know what, that, that wasn't a decision I made. No. That
1: decision was made for me, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what happened was uh, we started gigging and we started, as I said, immediately attracting a lot of attention and and pulling huge crowds and, and getting a lot of exposure on the radio and telly, uh, half the time for the antics that we were up to. And my employers at Price Waterhouse, which, as you'd be aware, started accounting as a quite a conservative state of profession.
0: Absolutely.
1: And they didn't take too kindly to one of their audit seniors Mm. being seen on telly in a leopard skin suit um, uh, messing around uh, and doing outrageous stuff. So they actually pulled me in one Friday and and suggested that I might be better off to pursue my career in entertainment. Seriously? Uh, They did. And at the time, I... Well, quite frankly, I shat myself. (laughs) And uh, I said, no, 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 this rock and roll thing, this is just a sideline, you know, Uh, I'll I'll give that away Um, because I could see that I would have a good, well-paid and long career in chartered accounting. Right. uh, Even though it might have been a bit boring. But they said, no, 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 here's here's your check, there's the door, what's your hurry? And uh, so that night, now here's a story for you. That night it was a Friday night, as I said. I, so I just got the sack from Price Waterhouse, mm-hmm. and I had a gig that night with Old Fifty Five at a pub called the Vicar of Wakefield Hotel in Dural, in the northwestern suburbs of Sydney. Right, and we went out there and did the gig. We set a, a we set a crowd attendance record, I remember, which wasn't broken until Cold Chisel came along, you know, four or five years later. Okay, and that night we were using. Um, flash bombs as part of our lighting effects and some of the incendiary material from the flash bombs right. must have gotten in, into my eyes because during the gig, you know, I could see my eyes were going funny. I was, I'd look at the lights and I'd see a halo around the lights and uh, like a rainbow yep. around the lights. I just kept doing the gig and rubbing my eyes and then I went out afterwards, just after the gig as you do or as you did. Yep. And uh, I woke up the next morning and I was blind. Oh, wow. Could not. I could just open my eyes, but when I opened them, I couldn't see anything. And, of course, talk about, so I shat myself again. And I had to get my girlfriend at the time, who I was living with, a girl called uh, Jay, and I, I'd become estranged from my parents. I hadn't spoken to my parents for a good 12 or 18 months. And I had to ask this poor girl, Jay, to ring my parents, introduce herself to them, you know, saying, Hello, oh, my name's Jay. We haven't met but I've been living with your son for the last six months. And uh he's asked me to ring you to let you know that he's been sacked from Price Waterhouse oh and uh and he's
2: blind.
0: Oh no. <laughs> How did they handle that? Well, uh, not very well. No, <laughs> goodness me! And here you are leaping around on stage in a leopard skin jacket. They must have thought you were on all sorts of drugs. <laughs> Giving up uh, your yeah, career, turned yourself blind, and and what the heck's going on with my yeah. son?
1: Well, they 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 did, and they were right about most of it. <laughs> okay. uh, let's face it. But um, so that that. I then went to the eye hospital, and what I'd done was I'd ulcerated my iris, rubbing this stuff around in my eyes all night. Yes. And uh, I had to – it was fine. I just had to get some ointments, and I had to wear pads and patches over my eyes for a week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that was a, a very grounding experience. Right. But um, it was then at that point that I decided, right, I've had the sack from uh i better make a success of this rock and roll thing. And thankfully, we were able to do that.
0: Yeah, we were. You were indeed. Now, you left the band, though, after a while, didn't you? You and Wilbur left because the next album you came up with was um, "Cruising for a Bruisin' and you guys weren't on that. So what what was behind that? Did you just get tired of the band or there was a different direction? You wanted to take it somewhere? Somebody else wanted to take it somewhere else? What was the story behind that one?
1: Well, you know, even as I think about it all these years later, I still can't come up with a concrete reason uh, except to say, as I mentioned, it was a whirlwind. We went on this whirlwind. We went from just being suburban boys, a chartered accountant. You know, Manzi was still at uni. One was a public servant. One was a teacher. And we went into this whirlwind of rock and roll and touring and being rock stars and having adulation. And anyone will know, it's not all beer and skittles.
0: No, definitely not.
1: Uh, it is hard work. And you do burn the candle at both ends,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it, you um, so it, and, and there was, it seemed to me to be no end in sight to it. So you add that into uh, the fact that um, naturally enough, when you're living with guys uh, that closely and under some pressure, uh, then you know you can rub people the, the wrong way, and personalities do clash. Yeah. So you get a bit of that going on as well. And and then the other thing was that the, the Jim Jim Manzi was the prime songwriter in the band, and he and I was still a very good mates with Jim, and we, we we still do gigs together every now and again. So I don't mean this as a criticism, but he he wanted to take the musical direction of the band into a softer uh, direction that is more like the Beach Boys. Okay. Whereas Wilbur and I wanted to keep it. Hard and rocky, more like Chuck Berry, if I can use those as examples. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn A. Baker, he sided with Jim in that musical direction that they wanted to go in. And so it it all, all of that added up. And then I'd also met a girl and fall, another girl, and fall in love. And, uh, you know, the attractions have just stayed. And I had an apartment at Manly. Uh, right on the water in Manly and the attractions of being at home in the apartment of Manly with my attractive girlfriend and living that life for a while was uh, more appealing than going back on the road with these half a dozen bozos
2: <laughs> and,
1: and and punishing myself uh, physically and mentally. So that was what I did. I, it was at the Captain Cook Motel in Canberra, the uh, Captain Cook Hotel Motel, uh, yep. that I decided to call it quits. Uh-huh. And just said to the boys, "Right, that's it," um, and walked away. Okay.
2: And then I think
1: Wilbur Wilbur might have stayed for a couple of more gigs, but very quickly decided that um, uh, it wasn't going to work for him either. So yeah. so he left.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And um, and then in years later, years later, like maybe thirty years after that, I'm at. Uh, in Kakadu, in the Northern Territory. Right. Have you been up there?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, no, not, okay, as far as, not as far as Kakadu, but yes, I've been up in the Northern Territory. Yeah.
1: Well, those who've been to Kakadu, uh, and everybody should go, by the way, Yes. Uh, will be aware there's a spot there called Nualangi Rock. Uh-huh. What you do is you clamber around this very big rock, rock face, and you're and you, you, know, you know, clambering around cliffs and things, and you're looking at uh, fascinating Aboriginal art and uh, the wonderful landscape up there. And anyway, I'm here with my wife and uh, two little girls. And we're walking along this narrow track along the cliff face, and somebody comes the other way. And uh, he pulls up and says, "You're," and he had a German accent, and he said, you're Frankie J. Holden, yeah." I said, yes. And he introduced himself. His name was Hans. And he was the owner of the Captain Cook Hotel Motel. At that time oh, when I'd left the band. <laughs> and he said to me, tell me, Frankie, I've always wondered why I've never had the opportunity to ask you.
2: Mm. And
1: bearing in mind, you know, I was standing on this narrow cliff face. Uh, I said, do you have to ask me now? He said, yeah, I'd like to know now. So he said, tell me, why did you leave the band?
2: Right. And
1: I told him, it was just a culmination of those things. And he said, I have one more question for you. Are you still friends with, with Mr. Wilbur mm. I said, yes, I am. I see Wilbur regularly. And he said, well, can you ask him, why did he find it necessary to shove a, a telephone book down the toilet?
0: <laughs> <laughs> where, where you guys were staying?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh. So
1: 30 years later, this guy comes up to me and says, why did he shove the toilet book, the
0: telephone telephone book, book. down the toilet? And what are the uh, chances of, first of all, meeting, meeting – and, yeah, obviously you didn't have an answer for that. What could you say? That we ran out of toilet paper? <laughs> I, just,
1: I just said, yeah, I'll ask you next time I see him. Now, can we continue our tour? Oh, goodness. But, yeah, so man. that was – um, but it was one of those decisions. Now, anybody listening to this would have had these decisions. You know, you have to make a tough decision in your life. Yes. And as soon as you've made it, you either go, oh, shit, I wish I hadn't done that, or you go – Oh, this feels great, you know, and you feel a great weight lift off your shoulders. Yeah. So, as soon as I'd made that decision, I I felt great. Uh I felt like it was the right decision, so I never regretted it. Uh, from that point of view. Although I I have had sometimes every now and again I've I've uh, pondered what if? What if I'd stayed? What yes. what, what what could we achieved uh, and what could we have done? But it's not a regret. It's just a, a, a it's interesting to think about what we could have done.
0: But look at but look uh, at the things you've done. I mean, if you'd have stayed with the band, you may not have. I mean, you got into television. You got into movies. You've you received a, a a Logie Award. Maybe none of those things would have happened. You might have had a successful music career and still be gigging around hotels and clubs today. But do you think? you'd be where you are today with the accolades of the television and the, and the films and so on and so forth.
1: Well, that's right. So you've got to weigh all of that up. And, there's, of course, there's no way of predicting that or, even in, or working that out in hindsight even. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just don't know. But as I said, the minute I made that decision, I felt good about it. And you're, I'll just pick you up on a little note of fact. Yes. We did reform um, and do an album called Five Lives Jive.
0: Okay, got... live
1: live jive.
0: Wow, didn't know that.
1: Now that was a live album that we we well when I say live, we went into a recording studio in Sydney and assembled an audience in a, in inverted commas a small audience and we did a virtually recorded it alive. Now we had to do that because I we still had a a commitment with Mushroom Records okay. to do one more album, and of course everybody tried to talk me out of leaving, including. Uh, Michael Gadinsky, uh and lots of other people but I just as I said I felt the decision was right for me and so we went and recorded that album and then and then after that the boys did uh, Cruising for a Bruisin' and uh, as you mentioned Wilbur and I uh, weren't on that or any of their other recorded material and they did you know they had some hit records they had Ruby Yes. And uh Stay While the Night Stay. is Young. Incredible song. Uh in, in the meantime we had another good hit record with Rockin' Christmas. Yes, you did. So that was in it was Christmas of seventy six.
0: That's an incredible song.
1: And uh yeah, that was again a Tim Manzi original and um that, I remember that's we remember that song because that song knocked Abba off the charts. We went to number one certainly in Melbourne and knock Aber off the charts. So
2: <laughs>
0: I, uh, <laughs> quite an achievement to knock a band like Aber off off the charts. But you know I've never I'm that's available. I've never even heard of that album. So I've definitely uh,
1: re- Look, I can't tell you. I've got a couple of copies, mate. If you want one, Abs- I'll send you one.
0: Absolutely, because I've I'm a huge fan of you guys and uh or your band and I didn't even know about that album. That's something. The last time I saw you guys as as a band was I think about? Oh, it would have been more than twenty years ago. I think it was probably the anniversary—twenty years of the album—and I saw you guys at Blacktown Workers Club. Incredible, because I've and I've actually got the Take a Greasy CD signed by the whole band.
1: Well, that was, it was certainly would be more than twenty years ago. Okay, there you go then. Uh, I've, um or oh, no? Wait a minute. Now, you may be right. Uh-huh. So as so we did reform. We did reform in two thousand and two, right? Uh, because that was my fiftieth birthday year. Okay. And I said, right, to, as part of that celebration, let's reform and do a few gigs. Uh huh. And um, and we might have done the black Blacktown Workers then. I did. So that'll be two thousand and two. So that is about twenty, nearly twenty years ago. So yeah. that's right. So was, he, your drummer, was,
0: was your drummer overseas at the time, or no? I'm trying to think. No,
1: uh, no. Now, um, I know Jeff Plummer, who was the drummer in Old 55. Yes, unfortunately, passed away uh, about maybe 12 or 15 years ago now. But he was certainly he drummed with us in that 2002 little mini tour that we did. Yes, but he wasn't there for the 40th anniversary
0: no.
1: mini tour that we did. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to replace him with another great legend of Australian rock and roll, Freddie Strauss, Okay. the drummer from Skyhooks. Yes, and also played with Joe Zepp and the Falcons,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he played with the Sports. Yes, and he uh, played with the Bushwhackers. Freddie's made a great contribution to Australian music, and as I said, he he when when we wanted to do the the gigs for the 40th anniversary. And we knew that obviously Jeff Plummer wasn't uh, available because he passed away quite a few years before. Uh, our first thought was to go to Freddie um, right. because Wilbur and I, as I said, Wilbur and I have been playing, kept playing music together all these years, and most of that time it's been with Freddie.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So we we've so Freddie knew obviously me and Wilbur backwards. Yes. And uh, and was familiar with most of the old fifty five stuff because. Old 55 and Skyhooks did do a national tour in 1976 or 1977, 1977. I mm-hmm. yep. when they came back from the States. They went to the States, tried their luck there, and came back, and we did a tour called The Brats Are Back. <laughs> so we'd been friends with Freddie. In fact, I've been to all of Freddie's four weddings. There wow. you
2: go.
0: Wow. Okay. That's, what, that's,
1: what, that's what sort of a friend I am. Good on you. Four weddings. And Oh,
0: well, that's Freddie, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. No, um, no, not you. No, I know that. No, Freddie, okay. And I'm, and I'm happy to
1: go to his next one as
0: well, if he's listening. <laughs> okay. All righty. Now, getting on, to, you're talking about the Skyhooks and that. When you you formed your next band, which was old Sky Daddies, and you had some yeah. Skyhooks members in that, well, a Skyhook member in that, is that right, or two Skyhook members? Uh, no, no,
1: so that band, yeah, well well done. And then oh, you had The old Ross, Sky Daddy. Yep. The Old Sky Daddies were put together in uh, around about, now let me get my facts straight here, probably around about just the early 2000s, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a, an idea of mine. And the lineup of the band was uh, two members of Old 55, yes. that is me and Wilbur, mm-hmm. two members of Skyhooks. Uh, Freddie and Bongo Starkey yes, and two members of Daddy Cool, Ross mm-hmm. Wilson and Wayne Duncan. No, no, Ross no, Hannaford. Hannaford, sorry.
2: yeah, Hannaford. Ross, Ross yeah.
1: Hannaford and Wayne Duncan.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that band um, played the hits of those three bands, and you know, and then a lot of other stuff besides. And we did a lot of corporate work uh, over the next sort of, or oh, going on for, we well, well, probably five or six years. We were we were working. Quite busily, yes. doing uh, corporate work and a lot of uh, clubs and stuff around the country, and that was a, that was a great band. And, and if anybody's interested, if you if you Google old Sky Daddies, yeah, you will see uh, some stuff on YouTube uh, where we're doing some stuff on television. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, that's all I could find on on old Sky Daddies. I, I've 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 went searching through all the platforms. I couldn't find anything, but I saw you guys on YouTube. You're on the Hey Hey It's Saturday show. Um, yep. I, yeah, I saw you on there. You did a medley of um, your like Old 55 and Skyhook's music. Great stuff. You didn't actually re- release any of that music? or No, we, we, we didn't
1: record. Well, we, I was busy uh, doing other projects at the time, as you mentioned, television and acting and things, and and Wilbur 2 was – Heavily involved in Hey Hey at Saturday at that time, so he was pretty busy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, we just didn't get around to recording anything. It's a pity. Yes, it
0: because is. Because it
1: was a very, very good band, and we had a lot of fun. It was a great thrill and pleasure for me to be able to work with um, those musos who'd been heroes of mine, You know, particularly Ross Hannaford and Wayne Duncan. Yes. Uh, and Daddy Cool. I remember seeing them when I was at uni, at Macquarie Uni, and just being blown away. And still today... If you listen to any of the Daddy Cool um, music, it's 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 almost perfect rock slash pop yeah. uh, music.
2: Absolutely. So
1: to put it into context, they, of course, were a 50s-influenced band, as we were, but they were four or five years before us, and then old 55 came along in the mid-'70s, and then sort of in the late-'70s, uh, the Silver Studs,
0: Yes, I remember the hey, silver studs. I was gonna, I was gonna mention them. I actually saw the silver studs. They did. A, they were promoting. I've got their album. They were promoting their album, and I, I, again, I think I saw them in Westfield at Blacktown or somewhere where they were doing a little thing in the in the middle of the middle of the shopping thing, trying to sell their albums and and, and get some um, get some airplay. You know what I mean? I've got that well, they, album. Yeah, they they
1: they had their slice of luck too because they. Uh, started just as Happy Days started on the television. Absolutely, I, I think they recorded that song. They I did. Think they recorded. It. They did. It's
0: yes. on their album. And yeah. very good, so, very good singers that, that those boys were. Absolutely. And I don't so know my, that they yeah, only did the one thing, didn't they? They only, to my knowledge, that's all they ever did, wasn't it? Didn't they have a very yeah, short-lived I, career? Or
1: I think so. I think so. Um, but it, it might be time to uh, for another fifties influence band to. Uh, to come forward, you know, a young band, young guys playing some sort of original rockabilly or whatever. I think they go very well at the minute.
0: Well, I, I think I'd rather see you, boy. I'd rather see you and Wilbur and try and get Manzies back on stage and do a, do a bit of a reunion thing. If it's obviously Ross has gone to rock and roll heaven, Hannaford. And, but if you could get the other boys back together, I'm I'm sure you'd, I'm sure you'd sell a lot of tickets. You had a great sound. I don't know whether or not that song Stay, I mean, that's an incredibly high song. Does he still got the vocal ability to pull that off, do you do you think? Or, Who? or No. The chap that sang uh, Stay from, um, I'm trying to think of the singer. That was. Oh, that, um, oh, that was Rock Pile. Rock, Pyle. That was Rock, Pyle Rock Pyle Jones. Jones. Yes, yes.
1: Uh, the short answer to that is no. No. <laughs> he doesn't have the ability to get up. Before.
0: That was uh, an incredible vocal feat. And, and actually, when I saw you guys, like, in that. T- 2000 whatever it was you guys finished the show i remember this like it was just yesterday you guys finished the show and you went off and then everybody's calling for an encore and then you introduced rock poll and, and it finished um he he did that he did stay and i thought my god he can still sing <laughs> no well,
1: you know then. i'll tell you I'll let, let you know, a little secret there in uh, that gig those yes. those high falsetto notes at uh, that gig were done by jim mandy okay uh, was Rockpile had lost his falsetto. okay. Um, but Jim has led a uh, a more sheltered life than Rockpile. okay and and me okay. yes, for that matter. fair enough. So he's still he's still able to uh, he's still able to do that. fair enough. but yeah they were, they were they were great days and i still I still love playing And when Wilbur and I work together, we don't call ourselves old fifty five no. for a leave business. yes, but uh, we we still obviously play a lot of the old fifty five. Hits mm-hmm. And are still heavily influenced by that music
2: from
1: that
0: Time
2: from
1: that period.
0: period. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I'd, I'd love to see you guys perform again. I mean, hopefully, you know, it, it'll happen, and I'll, I'll definitely catch up with you guys somewhere along the lines when when you're back to gigging. Because I know yeah, with, a, be about, with the COVID, you've had you've had a few gigs cancelled. I know you we, when we were speaking through the week, you said you had some gigs that are cancelled, and um, well, yeah, well,
1: Wilbur and I mostly mostly do. Corporate events, yes, like private events mm-hmm. uh, or big uh, community festivals, festivals, yeah, uh, things like the Big Red Bash, uh, the Port Perry Focus, of the Early Beach Music Festival. These are the ones that are just popping into my head. Yes, and we, but there was a, a number of gigs uh, scheduled in uh, April and May that got postponed, and now we're waiting to see whether or not they'll be able to go ahead.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so who knows what the future holds in that direction? But. Uh, something will happen. There, are, you know, there are everyone's so keen for it to happen. The audiences and musos alike,
0: absolutely. That there'll, there'll
1: have to be a way to work it out.
0: Everybody's biting at the bit to be out there performing and and earning and and um, yeah, doing their thing. So, just yeah, tell me. All- We'll get off. We'll get off the music, um, because you know we could talk all day. I'm sure. I've, I've got. I was. My, my partner tells me I was injected with a gramophone needle. <laughs> like I talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. Um, uh, you, you, your acting career. How did that all come about? Because you started. You did episodes in various things like, uh, prisoner and flying doctors and stuff. And then you, you ended up getting into films. How did that all come about?
1: Well. Back in the day when Old 55 uh, were in the heyday, in those mid-70s, there were lots of television shows uh, for you to appear on, all the variety shows. Yes. Uh, There was a Don Lane show, there was a Paul Hogan show, there was a Mike Walsh show. Mm -hmm. uh, And we would go on those shows, and um, because of um, my personality, I suppose, I was often asked to get involved in little sketches, little comedy sketches on those shows. Right, and an agent, an acting agent, saw me doing that, and then got in touch with me and said, "You know, had you thought about acting?" And I said, "Oh, no, not really, um, but I'll give it a crack." And um, she she started to line me up, you know, small roles in all of those Crawford shows, you know, your Cop Shop, your Prisoner, as you mentioned,
0: Special doctors, Squad, Country Practice, Flying Doctors,
1: all yep. sorts of things like that. Uh-huh. And then uh, slowly, you know, I was doing small parts in in movies as well with some other young up-and-coming actors like Mel Gibson and Russell Crowe. Right. And uh, I don't know what's happened to them. Though. I don't think they'd kick
0: on. No, but, uh, definitely, but definitely still... not Mel Gibson. I've, I haven't heard from him forever. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. so And that's how it started. And it was just a bit of a gradual build-up. And then in nineteen about 1990, I started to get good, solid work, and I, I won a couple of awards for things that I'd done. And, um, and it's still gone on, and I'm very thankful to say that um yeah, I won a silver logie two thousand and nineteen. Two thousand and nineteen, yeah. Or um my work in A Place to Call Home, which is a show on Foxtel which went ran for six years.
0: That's six years, yeah. yes, yeah. Incredible.
1: Yeah. So on um, on the current I don't think they had a logies this No, this not year. this year, no. So uh, you're
0: still the current holder.
1: I'm still the current holder, mate. So if somebody wants it, they can come and try and take it off
0: me. <laughs> I'll settle for the CD, okay? I'm not going to try and wrestle <laughs> you to the ground for your for your logie. Um, and you're also you're also on the um, walk of stars up there in Caloundra between um, Red Simons and Daryl Summers. So that that must have been good for you good to get your to get your handprint up there. And
1: yeah, I wish I wasn't between those two guys,
0: huh? <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> well, no, yeah, that's
1: right. There's been all sorts of. My, my career has been uh, been great. I'm very, very thankful, and I'm very respectful for the opportunities that have come my way. And I've been able to, you know, make a living, support my family, uh, do all that sort of stuff, doing something that I that I love and enjoy. Yes, and that I still find challenging mm-hmm. and uh, and inspiring. And it's one of those things. Um, showbiz. It's something you. you you're still learning, even after 44 years. There's still stuff I'm learning, uh, and every show or every role, every day on set is different, and it's been a blessing. So I do thank those partners at Price Waterhouse. Okay. Uh, who made that decision for me yeah,
2: all years ago.
0: I think so. I think, I think the next time we, we speak, it'll be in person, and you and I will share a drink and a toast <laughs> to those guys who gave you the sack because I think it's probably the best thing they ever did for you.
1: It, well, in hindsight, yes, it was, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: It
0: worked out,
1: um, it's worked out beautifully. And as I said, I've been very thankful for the things that have happened to me, but also the opportunity that I've had to work with so many uh, great performers, you know, all through my musical career. I've worked with great musicians and, uh, every, you know, and, and and through my acting career, I worked with many, many great actors and directors. And uh, I feel very very humbled and fortunate to have been able to do that stuff.
0: Okay. So, do I you... remember. Yeah, go on. I remember
1: when Willie and I, uh, when was this? Oh, this, you know, back in the sort of uh, early 2000s, and we started doing uh, corporate work, and uh, we were at something on Hamilton Island. It was a huge event on Hamilton Island. And anyway, in the, we were on the same bill as Glenn Shirek and Joe Camilleri and Ross Wilson. And Willie and I walked into the band room before the gig, you know, and we were pinching ourselves and punching ourselves, going, Look, that's Ross Wilson over there. Mm,
2: you know, that's Jory
1: mm. going to get his autograph. <laughs> so it's been, um, and now I, you know, and then I can consider those guys to be peers, my Absolutely. Peers now. Absolutely. So it's, it's been a great thing. Yeah, very yeah. lucky I am.
0: Fantastic. So do you, do you think that you'll, like, obviously you're not going to be writing new music and perform other than the things you do with Will, but what about acting? Because you've got this caravan park, which we're going to talk about in a moment. I mean, you're sort of retired from that lifestyle of acting and performing other than the, the corporate work that you do with uh, with Wilbur or if, if – if I she... hope not, mate. I'm,
1: I'm, at the moment, I'm comp- compulsorily. Okay. That's the word, retired, because yes. of the restrictions. Yes. But I'm certainly hopeful that uh, come the new year, mm-hmm. if not before, yes. things will start to get back to normal and there'll be some uh, – you know, I was doing some work at Home and Away – uh, just before this all finished. I hope that that maybe can pick up and continue. Yes. And uh, the live gigs. But I am very happy. I, I'm very fortunate, as you mentioned, I own a caravan park yeah, at Tartra. Yeah.
0: Tell us about the caravan uh, park, mate, because I reckon with all the things that have happened like this year with Corona and then the big bushfires and then in 2008, you were saying that acting is challenging and so on and so forth. Well, it's the last few years must have been very challenging for you with your caravan park.
1: Well, it has been. Uh, the park is called Tartra Beachside, and it's at Tartra, which is on the, the Sapphire Coast, the far south coast of New South Wales, near Bega. Yes. Near Bega, sort of Marimbula, uh, that Birmingham, that area. It's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's only uh, half an hour north of where I live. Right. So it's um, very handy from that point of view. And I normally, n- not at the moment, but normally I would be up there uh, two or three times a week doing uh, gigs. Yes. so I get to play live music in the park. It's very uh, casual and laid back. you know We light a fire and uh get a couple of muzos and uh get a food truck to come maybe serve pizzas or some curries or something mm-hmm. and uh everyone sit around and have a drink and um kids are playing on the playground and Mum and dad can listen to us play uh, songs and we and we do know a few songs because we're because well, we're old yes uh so and I love that it's. It's, that's a great outlet for me, and I am missing that, definitely. Yeah. But again, hopefully, we'll be able to uh, get through this, come out the other side, and uh, get back to normality, normality. As, at some time in the near future. But yeah, Tartha's copped a, a three-peat, if you like.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we had fires go through Tartar in uh, 2018, in March 2018. And then 2020, uh, we, the fires which was a big black summer, bushfires? fires, the fires didn't come into Tartara, but it was certainly threatened. And all the tourists were told to go, leave the area uh, early in January, right in our peak period, and not to come back. And Eventually, they did come back in March. And then, of course, COVID hit. Yes. Uh, and then that was settling down in June. Things are looking good. And then, of course, the Melbourne situation happened. Yeah. And the Victoria lockdown. So... It's been a difficult time for us and everybody who relies on tourism, uh, which is the main economic driver in this part of the world. So it's been tough. But like, you know, regional people, mate, they're resilient. Yes. And they stand together. And uh, we're actually taking the time to do some big renovations in the park to redo the roads, uh, put a new amenities block in, uh, do do some things like that. And uh, so when we do get to open up properly, which I hope will be you know, around the September school holidays,
0: okay,
1: uh, we'll be uh, ready and raring to go.
0: Okay. And in relation to like the social distancing thing, because I, I remember we, we touched on that the last time we spoke, it's basically up to the responsibility of the people there to exercise their own common sense, isn't it really? It's not like you're going to run around like the fun police and break people up and tell them they can't get that close. I mean, how do you think that's going to go?
1: Well, you're right. We're not police.
2: No. And
1: uh, it, it is up to individuals to uh, um, police themselves, if you like. Yeah. But I will say this, that in a caravan park, yep. that is just about the safest place to be mm-hmm. um, because uh, there is natural uh, distancing, if you like, yes. between you and the guests next door. The, you know, we, by, by law, we have to have two and a half metres minimum Mm-hmm. Between each cabin or villa, or each caravan site, yeah. so there is social distancing in place already. Yes, and if people then just have to observe the the social distancing rules and etiquette around uh, the use of the amenities and uh, in the common areas. You know, but that's not very difficult. No. But it's not as though like if you're in a motel or apartment block and every time you open your door you you bump into someone.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, it's very so. So and it, the other thing is, of course, it's. You most you spend most of your time outdoors, yeah, in a caravan park, and uh, particularly our one is right on the beach. You've got five hundred meters of absolute beach frontage there, so there's lots of space for you to get away from 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 other people. But uh, that, these are all issues that we all, as a community, have to address and work through. Yeah, and uh, um, and to me, anyway, the the big problem is in in the cities, in the crowded areas. If you're in the regions where there's just not crowds, then the, the, the risks are much are much less, you know, and you can manage the risk absolutely. a lot easier.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So uh, that's my advice to everyone, is get out into the regions. A, not only do they, you know, need your support, but B, you'll have a safe and more enjoyable holiday uh, than you will if you just... Um, Go into a city and go into crowded restaurants and crowded bars all the time. You 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 do run the risk of something happening.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I I I think that there's a lot of people that that are out there that are travelling, and obviously the Victorian borders, because you would have had a lot of you know passing trade from Victorians going north and. That's made it a bit difficult, but look, I, I just want people to realise that Tarthar is a beautiful place. What, what, the, what can visitors expect to see when they come to Tarthar? You've got your great caravan park and, as you said, absolute beach frontage. What about the town of Tarthar itself?
1: Well, when you come to this part of the world, uh, don't come if you're wanting to see a big shopping mall or if you're wanting to see huge Bunnings uh, or if you want to see traffic lights. Uh, or if you want to see traffic for that matter don 't come if you if that 's the sort of holiday you want if you want that sort of a holiday uh, you can go to one of the capital cities mm. but if you want a holiday where you get to reconnect with nature and reconnect with yourselves as families, uh, then Tarra and the sapphire coast uh, is one of those places in Australia which is just an ideal spot to come. So what we've got here, you know, it's our natural environment that's the big attraction here. Yes. An incredible coastline, great surf, great fishing, uh, great seafood, wonderful oysters uh, and prawns, et cetera. And, there are, and so you can spend your days just lazing around on the beach and having the odd surf or dive in the water if you'd like. But if you are more, if you like more activity, then there are lots of things to do. And as I said, mostly in the great outdoors. So in Tarso there is fabulous mountain bike riding. Uh, there's fabulous golf. Uh, there's tennis courts and all that sort of thing. You can learn to stand up paddleboard. There's fabulous kayaking, uh, great bushwalks. So it's that sort of a holiday. It's a get back into the environment and get off your tablets, get off your phones and um, reconnect with the universe and reconnect with each other. And that's what people love about coming to Tartar. And I know that's a lot of feedback I get from guests at the park. They say, particularly their teenage or, um, you know, 12 year old sons and daughters suddenly get off the phone and want to play Scrabble.
2: Wow.
1: Uh, with mum and dad. Do you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, absolutely. And
1: that's one of the great, um, or charades. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So that's one of the great the joys that I get out of owning the park is the fact that I'm helping families have great holidays together. And that's always been important, uh, particularly over the last you know, 10 or so years as mum and dad are working harder and harder. And we all know this. You go to work and then you get home and you might have a bite to eat and then you're back at work, more or less, like you're checking your emails and all that sort of stuff. And everybody's doing it, Mm -hmm. even the kids. So that family time together um, is very, very important from... From everybody's, you know, your mental health and the success of a family and all of that. So, and I, I, I sound like I'm getting serious, and, and I am. But it's it the sound of families having fun is what I've really missed during this COVID period, uh, and that's what the town of Tarfa has missed. The sound of mums and dads laughing together and the kids giggling and uh, and and having adventures together and making memories uh, that will last them a lifetime. That and that's. I get a lot of value out of it uh, myself. It's good for my soul to think that I'm helping them do that in providing the facilities at the park that we do, and also uh, you know what we do to in terms of entertainment there. So uh, it's it's a great it's been a great thing for me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Well, Frankie, I've got to tell you, mate, you've sold me. The next the next time I hook the caravan up, which probably won't be now this year, it'll be sometime next year. I, I'm going to definitely have to. Call cool through Tarthra because you know you're talking about traffic lights and Kmart and busy cities, and um, that's what I always try to run away from. That's the whole idea of a caravan and a holidays to go away and relax. And, yeah, I and, don't
1: take it right here. There's there, there are pl- there's plenty of lovely cafes and lovely restaurants etc. to to eat at. Yep. Um. And but. You know, at our parks, this is a thing too, mate, caravan parks now. You don't need a caravan to go to a caravan park. No, definitely. Uh, they should more accurately be called holiday parks because we have beautiful uh, a range of accommodation there. Uh, the fence, which have got their full-on suited safari tents, just like being in Africa. Yes. Uh, right on the beach. Uh, we've got uh, vintage vans, old-fashioned 60s and 70s vans wow. that we've done up that you can stay in all the way up to – you know, two bedroom, two bathroom villas, up to three bedroom uh, beach houses, and okay. again they're right on the beach. You just walk off your veranda across about ten meters of uh, sand dune, and you're on beautiful Tarifa Beach. Uh, so it's a holiday that anyone can enjoy, and it, but it is particularly ideal for families.
0: Fantastic, Fantastic. We got, We've
1: got a water park, you know, our own water park, and we've got our own um, kids' playground and a jumping pillow and all that sort of stuff. So. Our whole aim is to have the kids absolutely exhausted yes. at five o'clock at night.
0: Okay, I get it. I get it. Yep, and then well, that way the adults get their time. Get the kids fed, exactly. get them to bed, or let them crash in a bean chair or or a folding chair under the annex, and then you guys sit down and have your time.
1: Exactly. Fantastic. That's what it's all
0: about. Fantastic. Well, mate, as I said, you've sold me. The next time I hop in the van sometime next year, I'm going to call through there. I'm going to call in and see you, my friend. Um, what's Actually, the best way? Yeah, go on. No, make sure you do, I say. Oh, mate, absolutely, but, absolutely. I've been to Tarthra once, but it was it was a long time ago, and it, I'm sure it's changed so much since then. And, not uh, a lot. Honestly, not a lot. Okay. okay.
1: Just as, as I said, the coffee's better. And there's uh, and there's good food uh, around there now, but in terms of size or scale, this area hasn't changed much. It's still got that lovely, charming uh, seaside village appeal
0: okay.
2: uh,
1: that people just love.
0: Fantastic, Frank. Well, I've got to tell you, mate. I'll I'll put this up on the uh, on my website, and I'll also add some links to your caravan park as well. And um, good on you, mate. Hopefully, uh, you know, people, when they listen to this, they're going to give you a call and, and want to come and visit the lovely town of Tartha and your beautiful caravan park.
1: Good on you,
0: Phil. Thank you so much for your time, Frank. You're an absolute gentleman, my friend. I didn't think we'd been chatting for about 50 minutes here, and I'm going to turn this into a a much longer program, which I've got the scope to do that, and I'll advertise it well in advance so I can do that. And I'll be playing uh, Old 55, and I'll I'll have to look at Sky Daddies on YouTube or something. But... Yeah, to that you should be able to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, and uh, as I said, we'll, we'll we'll attach some links to your your park, and and hopefully, uh, when all this calms down, everybody's going to be wanting to run to your town instead of run to somebody else's.
1: Yeah, we just don't want people going
0: overseas, mate. No, we don't no, 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 we don't. Look, since all this business is, is, uh, has, has sort of come upon us, caravan uh, manufacturers, there was a huge spike because everybody realised they couldn't actually go overseas. So everybody wants the holiday. And I guess the most economical and, and uh, you know, friendly way to do it, if you've got a vehicle that's capable of pulling something that's, you know, that's got reasonable size to it, is a caravan. Otherwise, as you said, you've got the glamping going on. You've got you've got the two bedroom villas. You don't even need to go to an expense, and you can still have a lovely holiday, right on the beachfront. So, what else yeah. could you want? What else could you ask
1: for? So, there, yeah, I'm aware of that uh, that spike in interest, yes. and uh, that's that's what we were experiencing in, as I said, in May and June. Yep, uh, they were much busier months, um, much busier May and June than we would normally expect. Uh-huh. But once we get once this settles down, then there'll be a boom in domestic tourism. There's no doubt about
0: that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once they find out you'll be performing, will you have Wilbur at some of these gigs or is it just you and a couple of local lads? Or
1: Well, no, Wilbur's in Melbourne. But uh, as I said, generally we have a – I don't know whether I did mention – but generally we have a Rockabilly Festival in September. Yeah, No,
0: you didn't mention that, but no, I, I do know had, about it. We've had to,
1: we've had to cancel it mm-hmm. um, because of everything that's going on. But Wil, Wilbur was coming up for that. Uh, and I was getting. was coming down, and some Sydney musos that, that worked with us. We've got a Sydney band and a Melbourne band, me and Willie.
0: Right.
1: And um, so the Sydney band were coming down, so it would have been great. But um, we'll pull it together. You know, maybe maybe November. Well, definitely,
0: alright. definitely, mate. Where there's a will, there's a way. And one thing about Australians is they've got a big, strong will. And I'm, I'm sure we're all going to come through it, and um, we'll be better for it at the end. It's taught us all a lesson, Absolutely. I think, to, to first of all, love your own country and, you know, appreciate what you've got in your own backyard. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Good on you, mate. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, Frank. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. I've learned a lot about your music and uh, and your fantastic Caravan Park.
2: Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. See ya.